Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, Sincerely Jada, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Jada Amoy. And if this is your very first time listening, this podcast is dedicated to learning and unlearning. So today I have a special guest here to discuss all things related to money, especially in this economy, can be a difficult thing to manage by yourself. So we have Shay here to give us some good tips when it comes to finance. So I'll have Shay introduce herself and tell you a bit more about her experience as a financial educator and advisor. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Shay. My business is Finance for the Culture. I love what I do because I found a passion to connect education with fun. As you said, in this economy, it is getting kind of crazy, but there are ways to elevate our situations. Yeah, thank you for that intro. I've seen your various content on social media, and it's definitely been helpful to me. And also, I like how you approach finance in a way that it doesn't include lots of big words or tips that seem impossible to understand. It's just looking at your habits and, you know, those small changes you can make to ultimately save yourself a bit of money. So definitely excited to have you on the podcast. So today we're more so going to be discussing different tips for holding yourself accountable when it comes to your finances. Uh, You know, we want to hold ourselves accountable and save, but we don't want to find ourselves in a constant state of worry. Uh, I guess we could find a good place to start. Maybe you could explain a bit more about how you came to become a financial advisor. For sure. I've never had a lot of financial responsibilities as a kid. I believe that's why I ended up having such horrible habits. So I did work, but my parents did financially support me. And as much as my mom would always tell me to save, I didn't have a need to really and eventually I found myself at 28 years old feeling very financially unattractive I didn't have any savings I didn't have any investments my credit score was horrible and I wasn't able to afford things like traveling and so one day I had the thought if I'm so dependent on my parents and they weren't around for whatever reason or they gosh they did pass away I would be in a lot of trouble, and that scared me. In this transition of seeking information and wanting to be better, I actually attended a free financial literacy workshop where I learned so much information. I reached out to the facilitator, and I was like, please help me. And when I got my next full-time job, she was really able to help me manage my money better, create a financial plan, help me build an emergency fund. And I... I know what from zero to 100 in a short period of time. In five months, I saved $10,000. In nine months, I saved about $30,000. And then by the end of that year, I invested uh, about $20,000. So that doesn't have to be your story. But the reason why I was able to do so much was because I had some guidance. And I also had a mindset shift. I started off as a client and then seeing how impactful she was to me. And seeing how interesting the information was, I love teaching. And I knew that if I combined my love for teaching and financial literacy, I could make extreme impact and real systemic change. And so here we are two years into it. No finance for the culture is a movement now. And again, just really amplifying the importance of financial literacy and teaching 
people how to actually make those changes. Yeah. What really stuck out to me when you were talking is just that idea of, I think a lot of us were told to save, save, save. Like, I know that was my experience. And there was never a point where my mom actually explained to me, okay, how much should I save? How do I save? You know, what are some tips? Like, it was just like, make sure you're saving. So that financial literacy, as you said, is something that's missing a lot. And we kind of end up finding ourselves in a position where we have to learn through experience. Hearing how you went from a client to the advisor is something really inspiring to me. Yes, for sure. I never thought I would ever be in this field. And I want to encourage people to actually be open-minded because, first of all, the industry is changing. We want more diversity in the industry. We want younger folk. We want relatability when it comes to finance. And you also don't have to be good at math either. That's a big misconception that you have to be good at math to be great at finance. And that's just not the case. You know, I want to encourage people out there to really commit to learning about money and how it works because it's only going to make you better and operate in a system where we need money to live. So you could be that person to say, I want to live off grid and I don't want to have to deal with all the systems, but you need money to get there. So if we continue to avoid these things, we're not going to be able to live that self-sufficient, sustainable off-grid life. I come across two different types of people when it comes to money, which is usually people who don't like to talk about money at all or people who constantly talk about it and stress over it. And I feel like I've been both people like when things are bad, I'm the type of person who might not check my account, who might just, you know, uh, let it let it vibe, let it do its thing Um, or I'll constantly check like obsessively. So I think the idea of Also, what you had said, when it comes to finance, I think me personally, as someone who's not good at math, it seems like such an intimidating thing. But a lot of it, of course, you know, you have to add up the numbers, see what matches up. But there's a lot of other aspects aside from math as well. So I like that you mentioned that. So we were talking, you know, about financial literacy and how, of course, it's not really something that's widely taught, especially in schools. So in your interactions with people, especially Uh, you know, young people who might be maybe out of the house for the first time? What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see people having when it comes to their finances? I think one of the biggest things is if they're not in an ideal situation, there's a lot of acceptance and settling. Like they don't think that they could ever get out of that situation. And it's usually either a small which that needs to be made or a series of switches that needs to be made. And they don't know that there's hope or that something different can happen because they're either avoiding it or they just accepted that that's their financial situation. Another thing would be credit and debt management. So unfortunately, there is no crash course on credit and debt when we are, you know, getting our first credit card. And when it comes time to take care of the responsibilities that come with growing up or leaving the house or getting into college and university, the information is just not there. And so people find themselves in a lot of debt and no plan on how to get out of debt. And I would say one other thing, just afraid to ask for help. You know, unfortunately, the industry has been fairly transactional. That's usually people's experience. And that's another way I'm 
very unique in the space is that I never want people to feel bad about where they are. You have to start somewhere. And so if we can build people's financial confidence, that will trickle into their confidence to ask questions in general and be able to ask for help before a situation gets way too angry. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the kind of asking for help as well, because I think that a lot of times, not even just with money, but we're kind of afraid to admit that we're at rock bottom or in a bad place. You know, your friend might invite you out to dinner and you only have $12 in your bank account, but you're going to go anyway instead of simply admitting that it's probably not something you can afford. So, you know, that idea of not being able to admit and ask for help, maybe like if you see a friend who seems to really be investing or doing certain things, a lot of us are scared to ask, how are you achieving that? We simply assume that, like you said, if you're in a bad situation, you might make excuses and say, OK, well, so and so has this going for them. So that's why they can make those choices. But for me, it's not possible. That comparison game. Ooh, that's probably why most people are in debt. You know, that quote where it says, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's chapter 30. Literally, in the finance world, that's kind of what it is, you know, especially with social media, it's become a game of what more do I have over you and keeping up with the Joneses, and it's not getting us very far. And so people need to remember that personal finance is personal, and your journey is your journey, and it does not have to look like anyone else's. And if you've gotten yourself in a bit of a rut and you're working through getting out of it, Focus on your progress. Stop looking around to see what other people are doing. You know, yes, you can look to be inspired, but don't look around to see, I need to be here. I need to do this because you are where you are and you need to move in a way that matches where you are and where you're trying to go. Yeah. I like that you tied in social media because I think at this point in time, social media is so relevant in a lot of discussions because it's really influencing a lot of our decisions and our behaviors. So as I mentioned before, a lot of people are having a lot of anxiety about money and you kind of touched on it. A lot of it comes from comparison and then, of course, lack of education. What other reasons do you feel like people have that kind of anxiety when it comes to money and that lack of experience with financial literacy? I would say the cost of living. The cost of living has definitely increased tremendously. And we know that the wages have not matched the increase in the cost of living. Also, to lack of preparation. So, you know, people don't have savings or emergency funds because they don't really see themselves getting in a situation where they're going to need a buffer or a safety net. But, you know, we aren't invincible and we can't predict the future and things happen all the time, whether it's COVID or whether it's, you know, someone in the family getting sick or themselves getting sick or a car repair or wisdom tooth needing to be removed. Like you never know what's going to happen. And so when you're not prepared, you tend to have to look to debt to take care of those things, right? And just the uncertainty of life, you know, COVID was a huge part of that. You know, people getting laid off. And as much as great things came out of that, like a surge in entrepreneurship, the uncertainty of being able to pay bills is definitely a part of that. And just not knowing whether we're going to experience that ever again or whether the interest rates are going to increase again or what. So I would say definitely lack of 
adequate income is one of the biggest reasons why, you know, everyday folk are experiencing anxiety. The whole knowledge aspect is a huge part of the conversation as well, because I'm not sure if you could talk a bit about kind of your upbringing when it came to money, because I know for me, money was, of course, never a conversation. Like it seemed to always be around somewhat, but I never grew up having conversations about money. And I think in a lot of households, you're not supposed to really ask your parents about stuff like that. Like you guys are friends, Mm -hmm. but it's like at the same time, you know, if parents were kind of more not necessarily, uh, you know, bringing you in on decisions because obviously it's their money, not yours, but like seeing how much things cost. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, money was definitely not talked about at all. It only really became a topic when my brother got into real estate and, you know, I was also on my way to get licensed. So the conversation was happening more and more between me and him. And then it trickled to our parents. It was not a conversation. You know, I much thought that was the worst thing ever until I learned that it wasn't. Yeah, it's it's a common theme when it comes to marginalized families. There's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of scarcity mindset, you know, related to that. We really do tend to take on the habits of our parents, even if we never have that conversation about money. We see either we see them struggle and we develop a scarcity mindset or we just observe what they do and we subconsciously repeat that right you put that so well and I love that you mentioned that kind of scarcity mindset because I think a lot of what's happening too is people kind of grow up seeing maybe their parents struggling maybe there's a lot of things that you wanted growing up that you couldn't afford and then you get on your own you start seeing a few deposits and now you're splurging on everything because you're giving yourself that life that you always wanted and right that idea, I think there's a lot of like fear mongering too, like from parents, because I know, especially when it comes to debt, like I would have never thought until I actually came out into the world that debt, like nobody can really get anywhere financially once you're an adult without acquiring debt. You're like, oh my God, I need to avoid this debt. I find that, you know, different people who were in high school, like they had credit cards. And I used to think like, wow, why do you have a credit card? But it's like their parents are encouraging them once they're 18, maybe you should start building credit. You know, sometimes our parents don't know what's best. They know what is working. And sometimes what's working is actually not working. It's just comfortable. And so, you know, major props to our parents for doing what they did. But as we learn to do things differently, we also have to make sure that we're telling them and showing them when they want to follow us or listen to their choice. But yeah, you know, I was old or taught that debt is bad and yes you don't necessarily want to owe people money the traditional way but you're right when it comes to being able to build credit you have to take out debts or have a credit account open in order to do that and so it's all about how you use the debt so money and debt i like to consider them to be tools right they are mutual tools your behaviors and your actions when it comes to money, when it comes to utilizing debt, will make it good or bad. So we really need to eliminate that thought that debt is the worst thing ever because wealthy people actually use debt to achieve their financial goals faster. So, of course, if you don't understand how debt works and you rack up a credit card and you have, you know, you owe $10,000 and the interest charges are eating you up, 
then yes, not the ideal situation. But if you can use that credit card to buy something, you know, invest in something, maybe a vending machine, which aren't that expensive apparently, and now it's producing income, you've used that debt to create a source of income. So I would say in that case, the debt was worth it or it was good. So we really have to just be open-minded to looking at things a different way, especially now, because if we do look at, you know, maybe our parents or people who used to give us advice, you know, like, is it actually working? Your methods of ignoring debt or avoiding debt, is that actually working for you? On that topic, I think it's a good way to segue into some tools and tips based on your experience that you can give people who are kind of coming into their own, but also struggling to be more financially literate. So I know that you mentioned in our conversation, building a solid financial house, which of course, a lot of us would like to learn how to go about doing that. So when it comes to kind of balancing, staying on top of your finances, but not stressing out about them, Maybe you can give us a few tips for how to improve our relationship with money so that it's less about stressing and constantly worrying, but more so about feeling in control and also having those tools in place to build a solid foundation when it comes to your finances. I would say workshops, right? I I do free workshops every single month with some of my teammates and we really teach key financial concepts. So people can build that foundation of being financially literate. So the information part is key. And I want to say that it doesn't take a long time to learn these things. And once you learn these concepts, you won't forget them. It's like riding a bike. I did not ride a bike for 10 years. And the next time I ride a bike, I won't forget how to ride a bike. It's just one of those things because it's so interesting. And because these concepts aren't challenging concepts. It's the repetition and and implementation that's actually going to make it stick. So I would say that. And then I would say that the easiest thing to do is look at what you're doing now. In order for us to achieve our goals, we have to work backwards. So what are we doing right now? What does our spending look like? Do we know how much we're making a month? Do we know what our expenses look like? Do we know what our debt looks like? How much do we actually owe to each of these companies? As an individual, you should know these things. What's your credit score? Do you have investment? Did your parents open up an investment account for you? Do they have money for you? Maybe they didn't tell you about. Do they have insurance for you? So all of those financial details about yourself is a great place to start. Because when I sit down with people and I ask them like, hey, how much do you make per month? It's always this like, uh, like they don't even know how much they make per month. Then imagine working at a job for three years and you don't really know what you're bringing in. And then you also don't know what your expenses look like. So then you don't even know if you have the capacity to save at all, right? So really taking a look at where are you now? What habits are you doing now is a great starting point to pinpoint where you can shift and what you actually need help with. Yeah. I think a lot of us, I mean, me, for example, I'm going to say a lot of us a lot to avoid like coming for myself a little bit, but we know what we make on a monthly, but sometimes I avoid adding up my expenses personally. That also comes with admitting that, okay, I'm spending too much. And then you have to then go through the process of, you know, deciding what can be cut. I did this this month. That means next month I probably should go out a bit less. So we might see that there's a problem, but that requires us to make some actual changes. So 
when it comes to that process of weeding things out, weeding out your wants and needs, what kind of advice do you have for people who are in the process of doing that? For sure. So I do offer that service complimentary. The initial consultation is just us getting to know each other. And then the second appointment would be a financial needs analysis. So people don't have to do that by themselves. I know it can be a very scary or overwhelming task. I am, you know, available to guide people through that process. When it does come down to trying to figure out what needs to get cut, it just really depends, right? Like I remember having a client who was paying over $300 a month for personal trainer. And at the time, really couldn't afford to do that. Really should have been putting, you know, it's not all of that 300 bucks, but at least most of it towards savings, right? So you really got to look at the needs and the wants. I always say that if you analyze your finances, your cash flow, so what's coming in, what's going out, if you realize that you cannot do both, you cannot pay your bills, you cannot take care of what needs to be taken care of and treat yourself or and experience luxury, you have to make a decision. And it does not mean that you cannot treat yourself ever again. And it doesn't mean that you'll never be able to order Starbucks every single day ever again. It just means that right now you have to prioritize the needs. So something that I find people go overboard on, of course, eating out, online shopping, subscriptions, no shade. But if you don't have a business, you don't really need to be buying Canva Pro. You know, like the, the free version can suffice, you know, so certain things like that, those little costs will add up. Right. So. It's it's very individual, though. Like, every situation is different, so I don't usually make specific suggestions unless I see someone's situation. But in the grand scheme of things, it is the non-essential stuff that we just, we've gotten used to spending money on, but we could actually live without. And if we needed to live without it for a couple of months, we could really do it. It's just how badly do you want to be in a better position, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that even ties in with what we were talking about earlier. So the the rise of like social media, especially TikTok, there's a lot of the discussion about like your maintenance routine and, uh, you know, going out and these different things that I think put a lot of pressure, especially on people who literally just started their job like what a few months ago, entered the workforce. And now they're feeling as though they can't go without these things because it just becomes a part of you that uh, maintenance routine that costs you a gazillion dollars if you don't do it you don't feel like yourself and I think a lot of that is an issue that you see a lot nowadays where it's like okay well when you're adding up your expenses seeing what you need versus what you want it feels as though a need because you are so accustomed to it like you said you're so used to spending money on this obviously when circumstances change you should kind of look at your finances and see what should change as well yeah for sure and again you know, sometimes there does have to be a short-term sacrifice for long-term benefit. A lot of us do the rides for that short-term satisfaction and that instant gratification. And you're right, it is tricky when, you know, everybody has their nails done, everybody gets their hair done once a month. You know, I'm more, I'm, I'm more of a simple girl, you know, but... I do have friends who spent a lot of money on those things. And I remember going to work with one, I had a coworker who spent $200 on her nails every two weeks. I'm going to share that story because here's a wonderful case of keeping up with the Joneses. 150 bucks to 200 bucks on her nails every two weeks. 
asked me to go downstairs to buy candy, gave me her card, said she's that candy that she wanted wasn't there. I went and bought some next candy. Okay. And then she was like, oh my God, you bought the expensive candy? I was just like, I mean, it was three bucks. Like, I don't know. Like, oh, and it worked. Like, there was money on there. And I was just like, I had like, you're trying to tell me that you thought you have less than $3 on your card, but you spend 200 bucks on your nails every two weeks. If right now you can't afford to do the most, that is fine. That does not mean that you won't be able to do it later. But the longer we continue those not so healthy habits, the easier it is to continue them and the longer it takes to shift out of them. So I do believe in balance, but you do have to eventually make a decision, right? Because looking amazing with the flies hair and nails, but not being able to handle a $100 emergency is very, very telling, right? So we want to prioritize what's important. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. I like that you emphasize balance because, of course, a lot of us could benefit from having more balance. Like you said earlier, a lot of us are kind of in a place where we're not financially settled, especially when you're maybe a new grad or you're transitioning a career, whatever the case may be. So for those people who find themselves in a position where they say that they don't really have the resources to start making financial decisions such as investing, what advice would you offer those people who might be new to the workforce or don't have much money uh, to invest or save? Mm-hmm. So definitely, again, looking at, you know, their situation, creating some sort of budget, making sure they're well aware of what's coming in, what's going out, you know, and particularly when it comes to saving, I think a lot of people think they have to save like thousands of dollars every month. Even if it's 50 bucks a month, even if it's 25 bucks a month, even if it's 20 bucks a month, the act of putting something aside for your future, right? That becomes second nature eventually too. So you don't want to not save because you think that this $20 doesn't mean anything because if you save $20 and somebody saves zero, then you are $20 ahead. Right. So starting small is definitely a great place to start. And then also, too, you know, it's really hard to get by with one source of income. So I really encourage people to explore self-employment, entrepreneurship. And it doesn't have to be this crazy, complicated thing. If you are good at something, braiding hair, graphics, cleaning cars, fixing bikes, you can make some side cash with that. You can turn that into a side hustle, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a shop. You don't have to have an official anything, really. You're good at something, you can monetize that. So I would encourage people to monetize their talents to provide them with that additional income, right? And then also really got to work on shifting our mindset to understand the value of long-term long-term sustainability long-term comfort you know i know it might be tempting to spend more money when we're not financially comfortable but that's only going to put us in a worse position so we want to go out and eat when we don't feel good we want to do the you know retail therapy it's very short-lived i'm sure anyone listening who 
has experienced that understands that that feeling, that high, that euphoria is very short-lived. And you end up living with the consequences a lot longer. So you just want to be mindful that you're going to feel down sometimes, especially if you're not making enough money. Find non-monetary ways to pick yourself up. Because if you keep swiping that card, it's only going to amplify you not being in a great position, right? So whether you have a support group or whether you, you know, watch a funny video, maybe you check your bank account and it's like, damn, this is not cute. Watch a funny video or go for a walk or find something that's very, very, very affordable within your means that can be a pick me up. Maybe it's a dollar coffee or ice cap, whatever it is, right? But going on that shopping spree to combat the fact that you don't have a lot of money is literally counterproductive. So just be mindful of that. Yeah, I really like that you know that because a lot of us kind of go into that debt by trying to cheer ourselves up. We're going through a hard time, so we start going out a lot. But if you think about it, eventually when you have to look at your account or you have to deal with those consequences, you're going to be more sad than ever. So you might as well just not. And also, like, I encourage people to start journaling. You know, there are, and I've done a couple of these challenges maybe last year. You can find challenges online of, you know, ways to improve your finances. So maybe it could be like a 30-day challenge. The first day is, you know, you can't buy lunch. You can't buy outside food. Maybe the next day is put, put away like five bucks or something. Those things can help you really like improve your financial situation in different ways, not only related to money, but habits and mindset. And then I also encourage people to journal. So maybe you do check your bank account and you're like, man, I just graduated. I'm not making that much money. You know, I wish I could do more. Write about it because you're also working on shifting your mindset, you know, getting more comfortable expressing yourself about money. And it also is really great to be able to look back on, you know, the journals or the notes that you were in maybe like a year ago and compare them to where you are now. But again, just releasing. So instead of doing the shopping and releasing money, if you journal, you're, you're releasing how you feel. But, you know, it's on the page now. And more than likely, at least I find when people talk about journaling and for myself, if I just dump everything on the page, I don't even have to ever go read it again. It's just a release. So finding a healthier way to release, I think, is, is, is key. Yeah. That's that's really great advice, to be honest, that healthy release and having those healthy ways of expressing that we're in anxiety instead of heading down to the wall. This all really ties in with boundaries. Can you tell us a bit about some boundaries that you had to set uh, to get yourself to where you are and to really hone in on your finances? So I'm not saying that everybody has to do this, but when I first, you know, created a financial plan with my advisor, I just focused on saving. I was just I'm trying to save as much money as I can. So I didn't order outside food for six months. I stopped ordering Uber Eats. I stopped taking Uber. I stopped shopping. Six months straight, I said, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to meal prep and that's it. And I'm just going to save as much money as I can. And that's where I got, you know, $10,000 in, in the five months is I literally went cold turkey and did that. Now, I could have just 
cut back on the spending that I was doing from before and I probably would have saved a lot of money too. But I was so razor focused. So again, you don't have to do that, but cutting back and these tasks will make a huge difference. And I would say one thing that's really helped me specifically with shopping, I shop seasonally. So right before spring and right before winter, or let's say right before fall, you know, you could say quarterly, but like not really right before spring and right before fall, I will do a big haul. And that helps me a lot. Now, do I shop in between those times? Yes, very rarely though. I did just buy a pair of running shoes. You know, I've been meaning to buy a pair of sneakers that I can just walk around with, but also I could still wear them with a dress and it'll look cute. But I've been thinking about these shoes for the past three months. So I give myself time. I don't buy things right away. When I'm shopping online, I leave stuff in my cart for months, months before I actually make that, you know, choice to buy things. And then when it comes to finances now, I do not lend money to people. I, if I'm going to give you money or if I'm going to buy something for you, I'm buying it for you or I'm lending, like I'm giving you money. You know, if I want money back, there's a contract involved. I'm not saying that you have to do this with your friends or family, but I should do because it gets real messy real fast. And it's very easy for us to give 10 bucks here, five bucks here, 20 bucks here. But when it's time to get the money back, do you ever get it back? Probably not. So you want to be mindful of how giving you are when it comes to money. Yes, I know people want to help their family and their friends, but you know what? You're not responsible to keep other people afloat with their finances. That's just the bottom line. You have your own bills. You have your own responsibilities. You have your own goals and dreams. You're not responsible to fund other people's lives. And being more mindful of how giving we are in those aspects, I think can help us a lot. Yeah, I like so much that you mentioned the lending money because I think that that's such an interesting thing that people don't really see as an issue because I feel like a lot of us have this mindset and label ourselves as very giving people and we don't realize it's to our detriment. Not only can it interfere with your finances, but it's really irresponsible if you think about it because if you're not in the best position, you really do need that money. You're acting as though you're like Beyonce or something, like just giving money and you're not even in a good position. So I really like that you mentioned that because a lot of us struggle and it all comes back to not being able to say no. 1000%. And why I love what I do is because it's not just about the money. Like you really have to build self-confidence to be able to build financial confidence. It is going to suck sometimes to tell someone that she cannot help them. They might even get mad at you. They might cuss you off. They might stop being your friend. People come and people go and life goes on. We have to get better at putting ourselves first and prioritizing our needs it does not mean you become cold-hearted. But if you are not in the position to help, you just have to be honest when it comes to that. I was just trying to set up a lunch with somebody that I know, and we made plans for next week, and they actually messaged me and said, hey, 
you know what? It's not in my budget. and I have to be honest with myself. And you taught me that. You taught me that I need to be honest with myself. So can we please move this lunch to September? And I said, you don't know how happy it makes me to hear the word budget. But it also makes me so happy that you honored yourself. You knew that if you did this lunch or if you went out to that dinner or if you spent, you know, out of your means that the consequences don't disappear. They're there. And they're longer than the decision it takes to just, you know, or just reschedule. So that's impactful to me to know that, you know, I'm helping people with that confidence to be like, you know what, I can't do it this month. And that's totally fine. But when you're confident in yourself, able to ask the questions you're able to say no when you have to say no and and those things are built those skills are definitely built over time but yeah it, it does get tricky it does get tricky especially when it comes to family but in some way you have to protect yourself because like i said you're always available to help other people but if you needed someone to spot you on a credit card bill guarantee no one's coming to help you you have to be mindful of of that as well yeah that whole advice is just so helpful and just relevant because i think so much of our decisions have to do with the people around us as well you know if you're surrounding yourself with people who might be in better financial positions with you that's great but that also requires you to be honest with saying hey you might be there but i'm not there you know be confident in saying so because there's nothing wrong with not being able to make the vacation or, uh, you know, whatever the thing might be. But that is really impactful. And I think a lot of us can benefit from just saying no. And, you know, you might want to go out to eat with your friends, but you can't afford it. So stay at home. Staying home. When I stay home, I don't spend money. I don't even online shop. If I'm just home, maybe I'm, you know, working with clients or, you know, maybe I have an off day and I'm just chilling. As soon as you leave the house, you're spending money whether it's just the presto or something else. Um, so one of the challenges, I was mentioning that I I did have some challenges last year. You know, every day is a different challenge. One of them is having a no-spend weekend. Can you not spend money for a weekend? That's a challenge for a lot of people, right? But, you know, sometimes you do have to tone it down. You know, I know it's summertime, but as summer winds down, be mindful of, you know, how much a day costs in Toronto. <laughs> and wherever you are, I'm sure it's the same everywhere. But yeah, like not every day outside. Sometimes find affordable, bringing things to do as well. You know? Yeah, that's I like that you said that at the end, because I, especially during the summer, it's so expensive. And then if you look back, it's like, what you spent this amount even going out for drinks nowadays $20 a drink but if you stayed at home you have juice in the fridge you would have been fine you know it's yeah. just the the constant outsideness like you said it's not everyday outside so if there's anything you take from this episode it's okay to stay in your house some weekends you'll be fine yes as a entrepreneur I know that you had discussed that idea of you know, turning some of your hobbies into monetized, you know, things that can actually put some money in your account. So the last kind of question I really had for you was to really discuss 
your experience as an entrepreneur. So what are some of the challenges and benefits you'd say of working for yourself? Mm-hmm. Challenges would be I have to parent myself. I have to manage myself, you know? There's nobody telling me that I have to be at work a certain time. There's nobody telling me that I have to see a certain amount of clients or make a certain amount of money. And I could literally stay in bed all day if I wanted to, right? So just learning high management boundaries as well, you know, because I work remotely, I could technically take clients all day, every day. And, but, you know, I also want time for myself and I want to be able to make sure I'm eating lunch and stuff. So sometimes it is easy to just take a client or squeeze somebody in and neglect some of that self-care time. So I would say that there's that. And the benefits would definitely be there is no income ceiling. I can pretty much make as much money as I want to. And time freedom. So I can take days off whenever I feel like it. Um, I can travel whenever I want to. If I decide to, you know, nobody is telling me that I can't take a day off, et cetera, et cetera. But also just being able to do things on my terms. So I'm in the financial services space, but I'm not employed by anybody. So I can actually teach people the real tea on finance. What's really going on with credit and debt. You know, I can tell people about the banks and how their business model isn't to really help you save or invest. It's to make money off of you. That's just the business model, right? So he's being able to really, truly help people. You know, I wouldn't be able to necessarily do that if I was employed by somebody. So I I would say those are the benefits for sure. Yeah. As someone working a nine-to-five, I always kind of think about business in terms of, oh, I wonder what my business idea would be like. You don't think of the everyday talents you have as something that would actually benefit people. But just hearing Mm. even the fact that, you know, you're a financial advisor, but you're not under a bank or under a specific company. So being able to do things your way and actually express your opinions, because a lot of us are in workplaces Mm. where we're following policy, but the policy is, you know, a little it's a little questionable. So For the latter part of the episode, I usually, of course, want to give the guests an opportunity to kind of talk about what they might have going on. So if you have any resources uh, or upcoming events that you'd like to highlight, we can for sure discuss that. And then I'll have you maybe leave the audience with a quote that is super relevant to you that you'd like to share with other people. For sure. Recommendations. Definitely start immersing yourself in finance related material so whether that's content check me out on instagram finance for the culture you can watch youtube videos you can read books so rich dad poor dad is highly recommended as well as psychology of money and the more you read listen talk about and learn about these things they become a lot less daunting And you start to become familiar with the different terms, which will help your understanding overall. And I also offer complimentary consultations as well for anybody who wants to start taking a look at their financial situation and just doesn't know where to start. I also do three financial literacy workshops every single month. 
So I did have one coming up with my colleagues on Thursday, August 24th at 7 p.m. It is free. It is virtual. We're going to be talking about all things insurance, investments, inflation, taxes, credit and debt management. And it's going to be a wealth of information, super valuable information for anybody who wants to learn more. And a quote or thought, I'll say this, the longer you wait, the longer it'll take. So the longer you avoid your finances, the longer it's going to take to get in a better position, right? If you don't acknowledge where you are, you won't be able to figure out the solutions that are needed to get you where you want to be. So I would just say, if you have any questions, reach out. You know, there's no shade or shame. I heard my story. I was at one point, $200 to my name, 476 credit score. We all start somewhere. but the more you avoid that, you know, time flies. We always hear that time flies, time flies. COVID, that three-year gap went just like that. It's going to be 2030 just now. So you don't want to wake up in five years in an even worse position or the same position when you could have started working on your stuff now and actually be in a way better position in three, four, five years. That was such a perfect point to end on. I've never actually heard that quote before, so I'm going to write it down. With that being said, I'm going to have all of Shay's information in the episode details so that you can, of course, follow her Instagram because she has great content related to finances and just personal development as a whole that you can benefit from. Yeah, so you can be able to kind of connect with her and also just engage with her content as well so you can educate yourself about finances and, you know, feel as though you're not alone or having to hide your financial situation. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been really great having you on the podcast and just going back and forth and discussing finances because this is one of the, you know, most open conversations I've had about finances. And I think it encourages a lot of us to continue having these conversations. So thank you for all the work that you do and for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I, again, I just want to remind people to start with the small thing, right? You don't have to make this huge change in a short period of time. Start small. Small habits are going to equal big changes. Thanks again for having me. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And like I said, you can check the episode description to find Shay's information so you can keep up with her as well. Until next time, sincerely, Jada. 